This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Being with your emotions, or even being in the process of tolerating life, well, its ups and downs. That is actually the richness of what it means to have a human experience. And so our intentions really allow us to really hone our ability to be in that state. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll discuss vitamin K2, MK7 in your heart. We'll learn about the treatment of non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. We'll find out how to set mindful intentions. And lastly, we'll explore cooking with sweet potatoes. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products in the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is also a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and a regular guest on this show. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm doing wonderful today, and hopefully you and all your listeners are as well. I can only speak for me. I am doing wonderful. I'm hopeful that my listeners are doing well, too. I know something about you, and that is when you get your teeth into a subject, you like not right down to the bone, and, and you are excited, and I know you do this when you're excited about a topic, and that's vitamin K2. Oh, yeah. And today we're going to talk about it again, but this time in another context, and that is how it pertains to your heart health, correct? Correct. Correct, correct. All right, so let's do an overview, because it's always good to get some grounding, and that is... You know, what is the role of the cardiovascular system in our overall health? Well, your cardiovascular system, quite literally, is your lifeblood. The system is responsible for maintaining blood flow throughout your body. And that's important because your blood provides your cells, and that's every cell in your body, with oxygen and nutrients while removing the waste the cell produces and carbon dioxide. The system is also a vital cog in your immune system, which we all need to have a good immune system, protecting you from disease and infection of all kinds. So considering that it's so important, what are the ways that we can improve our cardio health or at least maintain it? Well, the big thing is what's called cardiovascular disease. Um, It's commonly called heart disease or CVD, and it's devastating. It's the number two killer in Canada with just under one in 10 Canadian adults having diagnosed cardiovascular disease. Now, those are pretty depressing statistics. Yes, they are. The good news is you can reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease by doing the things we always stress on this show to stay healthy, namely avoiding smoking and secondhand smoke, staying physically active, eating a varied healthy diet, and maintaining a healthy weight. That's the beginning steps. But 
then we can go even further and improve our cardiovascular health. And that'll go a long way to keeping us overall healthy and further reducing the risk of diseases, including CBD. Right. And, and you know, like it's one thing, it's nice to go for a walk and, that, and that's, you know, getting up away from the desk or the couch or the TV or whatever. Uh, to improve cardio health, though, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you, you just want to get the heart going. So maybe if you're walking, you'll walk a little faster, maybe build to a jog or a run, or maybe you cycle or do yoga or just something more vigorous to get the heart rate up. Not to the point of bursting, but, you know, up for a few minutes every day or maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes, three or four times a week. Oh, definitely. One of the big things I do, it kind of drives the people at my office nuts, is I pace when I talk on the phone with people. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, I've managed to get to the point where I can now do about 17,000 steps a day without even thinking about it. Well, that's great. Okay, so everybody I think is familiar with our take on on lifestyle decisions and how they impact your overall health. But there's also some supplements that we can take to improve cardio health, isn't there? Definitely. There are supplements you can take that will vastly improve your cardiovascular health and reduce the risk of CBD. And here is one instance where a truly holistic approach that includes vitamins, herbals, minerals, and other supplements provides you with massive synergistic benefits. You don't want to stick with just one. Take a raft of them together, and you'll, they'll just pile the benefits on each other. But more specifically, uh, you're here to tout vitamin K2, MK7, right? Oh, definitely. That one, uh, you know me well enough to know this is my focus. This is my aim in life for the past six months, yep. and it, it isn't stopping. <laughs> okay, so so... Tell everybody the ways in which vitamin K2 can impact your cardio health. Well, it does multiple things. First of all, it keeps your arteries healthy. Vitamin K2 MK7 activates the protein that removes calcium deposits from arteries. This reduces arterial sclerosis, which is the stiffening and hardening of your arteries. And this instead allows your arteries to remain soft, flexible and healthy and allows them to push and move blood throughout your body the way it's supposed to be done. Okay. What else does it do? In, in the, the same vein, no pun intended, <laughs> of keeping blood flowing, it reduces the buildup of plaque in your arteries. And, and that's slightly different because arterial plaque is not just calcium. It's calcium combined with fat and cholesterol. And if they're left unchecked, Often, they block off blood flow. By removing the calcium, K2MK7 reduces the chance of fat accumulating there as well and keeps your arteries open and the blood flowing the way it's supposed to be. Okay, and then that in turn, I think, impacts the chances of getting a heart attack, right? Correct. When calcium deposits accumulate in the aorta of your heart, those are the chambers, it leads to blockages in blood flow. This is a condition called aortic calcification, or alternatively, aortic stenosis. And it's one of the leading causes of heart attacks. Vitamin K2MK7 helps reduce your risk of these by reducing the calcium deposits and channeling the calcium away from your heart and into your bones. So it not just takes the calcium away from your arteries and your veins, it also takes away from the heart itself. What else can it do for us? It also can reduce strokes. Strokes are 
when your blood supply to your brain is interrupted or reduced, preventing your brain cells themselves from getting oxygen, causing the cells to die. Half of all strokes are caused by arteriosclerosis. As we stated earlier, vitamin K2, MK7 removes calcium from the arteries, keeping them flexible and removing the risk of them narrowing or having blockages. This enables your brain cells to get the oxygen and nutrition it needs to stay healthy. Okay. Now, I'm going to go out there and ask another question, and that is, does this impact your overall blood pressure, and if so, how? It actually does, believe it or not. What ends up happening is that by keeping your arteries flexible, healthy, and clear of plaque, Vitamin K2 MK7 keeps your blood flowing smoothly. And as anyone will tell you, if you've looked at, for example, rapids in, in uh, water, whenever there's an obstruction in the waterway, something, for example, like a rock or a tree, you'll see that it increases the pressure and it causes white water. Same kind of thing actually happens inside your body. By keeping that area where the blood flows smooth through your arteries, it reduces any obstructions and allows the blood to flow, by, thereby reducing the pressure caused. Okay, and one last question about our friend uh, vitamin K2. Does it impact the blood sugar at all? It actually does. And diabetes, a lot of people don't know this, but diabetes and cardiovascular disease almost always go hand in hand. People with diabetes tend to develop heart disease at a younger age than those without diabetes, and over 65% of diabetics will actually die not of diabetes, but of heart disease or stroke. The good news is vitamin K2, MK7 can actually help there as well because it reduces your risk of heart disease by improving your insulin sensitivity and actually reducing the risk of diabetes. So you're actually getting double benefit there. I know you've covered this before because we've talked about vitamin K2 for a bit over the last couple of months, but for those who didn't hear those episodes, can you talk a bit about dosages and, and how we take a vitamin K2? Not a problem. Vitamin K2, you always want to go for the MK7 form, and the reason is it lasts in your body a long time, and it's very low dose. You can go dosing as low as about 15 to 30 micrograms, but if you want to get a lot of the benefits, you want to take that higher to the 60 or 90 micrograms, and that, that's still very, very little, and it's incredibly safe, ridiculously safe. The good news is it's an oil-based nutrient, so you just take it in an oil format. That being drops are very easy to, to come by, or you can take it in, excuse me, there are some gummies that use it in the oil form as well. You just want to avoid it, if possible, in a, a powdered form because you just won't absorb as much. Okay. Let's move on to other nutraceuticals. Is there anything else you'd recommend for heart health? Oh, tons of things. There's something out there called CoQ10. You might also see it listed as coenzyme Q10, ubiquinone, and it's not a vitamin, but it's a vitamin-like substance. What it does is it actually plays a crucial role in allowing your cells to extract energy from the food we take in. Now, it makes sense that that would be important to your heart because your heart is the hardest working muscle in your body. It, it's constantly beating and it has to do it a really good job for us to be healthy. 
So it's essential that you have a constant supply of coenzyme Q10 so that your heart muscle can do its work. Also really big important here is if any of your listeners are taking a class of drugs called statins, and those are the drugs used for cholesterol control, statins deplete your body of coenzyme Q10. So if you're a statin user, you need to supplement even more than those who aren't statin users. Good advice. What about herbal remedies? Anything there that can help us? Oh, definitely. One of my favorites is garlic. The enemy to vampires and friend (laughs) to your heart. (laughs) Garlic, and yes, I'm actually talking about the same garlic you probably have in your kitchen somewhere, has been shown in multiple studies to reduce cell damage, regulate cholesterol levels, and lower blood pressure. They've also found that garlic can reduce the same plaque that vitamin K2 does as well. And I suggest try adding garlic to the foods you eat as well as taking garlic supplements. Don't just do one. Try doing both, and you'll get maximum benefit there. Good advice. On on top of that, you've also got one of the hottest herbs out there right now, which is turmeric, and its active component called curcumin. Turmeric is known as a very potent antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, which is why a lot of people take it for joint health. But it's also been found to help prevent heart failure and reduce arteriosclerosis by reducing the fat deposit part of plaque. So you have K2 on one side that is reducing the calcium part of arteriosclerosis, and now you have turmeric that's reducing the fat part. Together, a one-two punch that's amazing. And the way to take it is try adding turmeric to your foods, say in curries, or enjoy it in a drink. Uh, There's awesome chai recipes out there as well as turmeric milk. And on top of that, take supplements. Again, you want to take a lot of it, very different ways to get the maximum benefit. Third one is Hawthorne. Mm -hmm. Hawthorne, and specifically Hawthorne berries, have been studied and used for centuries for heart health. They improve overall health function. They act as vasodilators, and what that means is they relax blood vessels, reducing blood pressure naturally. They also reduce high cholesterol and especially LDL, which is the bad cholesterol. The good news is Hawthorne berries are available in foods. Uh, Traditionally, you'll find Hawthorne jams and Hawthorne drinks, and it's a nice way to get it, but you can't get enough that way. Ideally, you want to take supplements as well in herbal extracts. Uh, those are liquids, capsules, or tablets. Are there any minerals that you would recommend? Definitely. I would recommend both magnesium and potassium. Magnesium helps improve the contraction of muscles, reducing blood pressure as well, and improves overall heart function. Potassium is very important because it improves heart function while at the same time it offsets and reduces the rise in blood pressure caused by the typical Canadian diet, which is high in sodium. Okay, and there's one last supplement that uh, we haven't talked about, but I know you want to get to, and that is omega fatty acids. Oh, definitely. Omega fatty acids, specifically the omega-3 fatty acids, are vital. They reduce inflammation throughout your body, and it lowers blood pressure, improves blood lipid, which are fat profiles, and lowers your triglycerides. And overall, they found with clinical trials, it reduces your risk of death from heart disease. Now, 
a lot of people hear omega-3 and immediately they think fish and it's like, oh my gosh, the smell, the taste. First of all, omega-3 acids, fatty acids have come a long way. There's mm -hmm. a lot of vegetarian options. There's a lot of vegan options. And even if you go and do the ones that are from fish, the technology has improved greatly. Those unpleasant repeating is a thing of the past. Joel, I want to thank you for really putting your heart into this interview. Oh, God. I did, and I was happy to. Uh, I, I can taste the emails coming to me now for that awful pun. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure as always, and I look forward to the next. Joel Thuna will be back again next month. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the treatment of non-alcoholic steatohepatitis on the tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Want to love your liver? With fatty liver disease and its more serious counterpart, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, also known as NASH, rising rapidly, knowing how to protect your liver is more important than ever. Hepion Pharmaceuticals is developing a treatment to stop NASH in its tracks. No matter where it is on the disease path, Hepion is a publicly traded company listed on NASDAQ Stock Exchange under the symbol HEPA. For more information, visit hepionpharma.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Dr. Robert Foster is the CEO of Hepion Pharmaceuticals. Dr. Foster first began working on cyclophilin drug development in 1988. He has more than 30 years of pharmaceutical and biotech experience. Prior to Hepion, he was the CEO and founder of Cyclophilin Pharmaceuticals, Inc., which merged with Hepion in 2016. And before that, he founded Isotechnica Pharma, Inc. in 1993 and was its chairman and CEO for approximately 21 years. During his tenure at Isotechnica, Dr. Foster discovered Voclosporin, an immunosuppressive drug to treat autoimmune diseases. Welcome to the show, doctor. How are you? Doing well, thank you. So today we're talking about liver health, and we don't hear about that much, but I know you have some views on why it's critical that we have optimal liver function. You want to tell us about that? Sure, I'd be glad to. So liver health is critical for our life. You know, without a liver, there's not a chance we can, we can live. So it's funny to me, it just seems almost odd that the liver hasn't received more attention from the, you know, from the, maybe the community in general. But without a liver, you know, there's just no way our body can function because, you know, after all, the liver is so important when it comes to, you know, cleaning up our blood supply and everything else and sort of keeping us in a good state of health. And you know, on the flip side, it can also uh, push us over into some state of disease as well. So you're actually working, your company's working on a treatment for NASH, and NASH is otherwise known as non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. What is that? So NASH is a, a really severe form of fatty liver disease. So let me see if I can put this into context. Sure. So if you look at the global population, which, of course, there's billions of people on this planet, but one in four of the people walking this planet today has a fatty liver. And that just means, you, you know, you've got fat in the liver, just as the name implies. 
But if you look at a more severe form of fatty liver disease, that's NASH. And to put that into context, it's about 20% of the fatty liver patients have NASH. And then if you put that into, let's say, the U.S. context, that means that about at least 17 million people in the U.S. have NASH. So I would call it actually an epidemic. It's a global epidemic. And this is, a you know, it's a lifestyle disease, right? Because to have a fatty liver, it means you're probably obese, right? You know, it's funny enough, people may come to that conclusion. So oftentimes you will see people that are, you know, obese that have fatty liver, but there's also something called lean NASH. So these people are looking, you know, by all intents and purposes, they look relatively, um, you know, healthy and normal, but the underlying disease is there. So there's genetic factors. There could be all kinds of different factors, even environment. But of course, you know, you put your finger on it. Lifestyle has a lot to do with it as well. So if we eat a lot of sweets, you know, consume a lot of sugar, a lot of fat, you know, hang out at fast food restaurants, those things can definitely contribute as well as, you know, whether or not you get exercise. So why is it bad to have an extremely fatty liver or have NASH? What does it do to your body? Well, that's a great question because really if we don't know that we've got a fatty liver and if we don't know we have NASH and we don't treat it, chances are that people can progress through the disease. And so by way of progression of the disease, what I mean is ultimately uh, patients can develop cirrhosis of the liver. And I, I know people may be familiar with that term cirrhosis because oftentimes it's connected to, let's say, excess alcohol consumption. Right. But cirrhosis is one of the things that can happen. NASH is also uh, one of the reasons for getting a liver transplant these days. The other thing is if you leave the disease kind of progress, you can also develop liver cancer. So people will develop liver tumors. And then ultimately, uh, believe it or not, you know, people will die. So it, it is a very serious disease. So, it, you know, it's something that we need to find a treatment for. And, and that's the rub right there, because right now there is no FDA or, you know, regulatory approved treatment for NASH. So it's an epidemic with no treatment. So you mentioned cirrhosis and, and liver cancer, but that's sort of the end of the line for somebody who, who may have NASH. Are there symptoms or problems that occur sort of along the path towards that end result? Yeah, well, first of all, I mentioned, you know, you mentioned end of line. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, you know, people can actually progress to those end stages without going through step by step. You oh, know? really? So oh. Oftentimes, yeah. It's interesting because Oftentimes, there's scarring the liver. We, you know, we call that fibrosis of the liver, right. which is just a, you know scarring, like similar to what you'd get on your skin if you cut yourself with a kitchen knife. But we stage it. We go F1, F2, F3, and F4. And you know, as you go up in the numbers, it gets more and more severe. But you can skip the stages and go straight, you know, let's say from an F2 to liver cancer. So that doesn't necessarily progress as you think it might. But definitely, you know, it's a tricky thing to treat. If you look at um, people with fatty livers, mm -hmm. most people have no clue that they have a fatty liver. Well, how do you diagnose and, it? Like, how would you know if you had a fatty liver? Yeah, that, that's the trick. There's a lot of people right now trying to work on non-invasive diagnostics. So typically what happens is you feel kind of lethargic, you know, you're lazy, you're tired, you're feeling a little down. Yeah. You might go and see your physician. Right. And then when you see your physician and get one of these lab requisitions to go and get a blood test, they'll look at a liver panel. And so, for example, look at something called ALT or AST. And if those numbers are up and you have some indication that your liver function is maybe declining, uh, they'll start doing more and more tests. They can do ultrasound. They can do CT scans. And then ultimately, they might even want to stick a needle basically into your liver. It's a fine needle biopsy and take a sample of tissue. And that will tell you whether or not you've got a, a progressed disease. 
it'll also tell you if it's got a fatty liver. But again, most people with early stages of fatty liver have no clue that they have it. So that's part of the challenge is how do you diagnose it when you don't even know that you have it? Wow. Okay, so let's assume you're, I mean, you're. it's unfortunate that you might be getting it or might have it, but you're fortunate enough to understand that, you know, you maybe you're in early stages of it. Is there anything we can do to prevent it or preclude it? Well, I would say the first thing people want to do is, you know, eat properly. And I know that, you know, time and time again, we get, you know, harped on by the uh, medical community about, you know, proper diet, proper right. exercise. Those are types of things that you can do. And those will be very, very helpful in terms of reducing the incidence of fatty livers. But, you know, there's, there's also genetic things that will happen. There's also metabolic things that can contribute to liver disease. For example, type 2 diabetes and, you know, what we would call metabolic syndrome. Yep. So all of these things can sort of push us into the disease. And for those types of things that drive the disease, we try to control as best as possible using other medications. So, you know, control diabetes, make sure that the blood sugars are well controlled, make sure blood pressure is controlled, all these things are controlled. And then by way of doing all of the earlier treatments on what I would call the metabolic treatment side of the equation, hopefully you can reduce the likelihood that you'll go on to develop more severe disease. And in this case, by severe, I mean, you know, really a lot of scarring and uh, what we call fibrosis of the liver. All right, so now that we've frightened all our listeners, let's give them some good news. <laughs> Hepion's working on a drug yeah. that is effective against NASH, right? Yeah, that's that's the whole goal. So a lot of companies are working in NASH right now. You know, that's the good news is that there's a lot of companies working on NASH right now. Most of the companies are driving their products and the product development towards controlling, again, what I would call the metabolic side of the equation. So right. Making sure that you can reduce liver fat, maybe, you know, taking control of the metabolic syndrome. So again, you know, looking at triglycerides and cholesterol, things like that, hypertension. But as I mentioned, most people are asymptomatic, you know, so they have no idea that they have it. Right. And by the time they do get diagnosed, if it is indeed, you know, a fine needle biopsy of your liver, by then a lot of those drugs are not as effective as you would hope. So that's where we come in. So we have a molecule called CRV431 which is a molecule we've been working on for a number of years. And what we're trying to do is go in there and disrupt the uh, laying down of the protein called collagen that causes the, the fibrosis of the liver. And in fact, the other thing we're trying to do is actually reverse that. So in fact, if you do have scarring in your liver, we're trying to actually reverse that. And that's, that's sort of a, a key difference between what we're doing and what other companies might be doing in the NASH space. How far along are you? Has this been tested? Are you coming to market? Yeah, well, we're not we're not too close to the market yet. We're in phase two clinical trials. So just to put that into context, obviously you have to go through phase one before you go to phase two. So phase one is uh, testing your drug in healthy, normal volunteers, just to make sure that the drug is safe and well tolerated. And also you can characterize what is the drug level in the blood and, and you know, what you sort of map out the time uh, course of the drug in the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. And then... If you're convinced, and the regulators like the FDA are convinced that you've got a drug that's safe and well-tolerated, you can then go to NASH patients, and that's what we call phase two. And that's what we're doing right now. So we've got two different doses. I would call it a low dose and a high dose of our molecule called CRV again. And then we're giving it to NASH patients. And what we're doing there is we're looking for, in a way, reading the tea leaves. So what we're trying to do is get an early indication 
that the drug is uh, pushing things in the right direction. So in other words, trying to reduce that fibrosis that I just mentioned. We have time for one last question, and that is, you know, maybe you could explain how long these phase two trials are, will take and for hopeful listeners, maybe get a sense of, of when you might be able to come to market with your drug. Yeah, so the phase two trial, the one we've got going right now, we're, we're hoping we can wrap that up by about um, April or so this year. But then we have to do a second phase two trial. That one's going to be about a two-year process. So that'll wrap up, I'm anticipating probably midway through 2023. And then we have to go on to a phase three trial, which is what we call, you know, large multi-center trials. Yep. And that's done and you know, it could be done in, you know, a thousand or more patients. And then when you finish that, then you can apply for your marketing approval with the FDA or HealthCat or whatever regulator uh, where you want to apply it to get your drug approved. So that whole process will take a number of years, but we anticipate putting in our package for, you know, hoping to get the approval probably in about 2026. And then after that, you're probably looking at, you know, another six months to a year before you get approval. So it is a long process but a very worthwhile process. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. And and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. That was Dr. Robert Foster. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss setting mindful intentions on the tonic. You're a genuine health enthusiast listening to this show today. And Activation Products is your dream come true when it comes to living a very long, pain-free, energized life. Your body's craving heirloom nano and micronutrients that you'll use to elevate your whole body's health in ways you had no idea were possible. Activation makes all this possible no matter how old or young you are. The precious time, energy, and money you invest to be healthy is taken very seriously by Activation. It's their responsibility to deliver to you the most efficacious health products available in the world today. People consistently report back the most beautiful health results when they daily consume products from Activation. Treat yourself now and find out what it's like to live in a luxurious body, making every day a joy to be alive. Go to activationproducts.com and subscribe for the most important health information and products. Or call 1-866-271-7595. Valentine's Day isn't the only time to think about your heart. Over 2.4 million Canadians are affected by heart disease. Symptoms such as shortness of breath, chest pains, discomfort in your arms, back, neck, or jaw are not to be ignored. Seeking medical assistance is always the safest choice. It could save your life. Don't die of doubt. Don't hesitate. Follow your heart and call 911 at the first sign of heart attack or stroke. Medtronic Canada is committed to alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for patients with heart disease. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Tracy Sagratti has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years experience in leading classes, workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for a deeply meaningful life at any stage. And you can find her at SogratiYoga.com, Sograti Yoga on Facebook, or at Tracy Sograti on Instagram. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. I'm pumped to be here. Yeah, we're finally, this is like a Jamie episode because we're not just talking today, my friend. We're giving people an idea on how to actually execute. We're going to execute yeah. mindful intention setting, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the goal. 
Okay. All right. But let's, you use the word goal. I know. I know. It was purposeful. Well, there you go. You know, you're rubbing off on me and I'm rubbing off on you. So what's the difference between an intention and a goal? Okay. So goals basically don't happen in the present moment. They're future oriented and goals are fantastic. Mm -hmm. They help you kind of chart your course, so to speak. But what I want people to really understand is that the purpose of the goal is to facilitate you being in the process of becoming your best self, right? Mm -hmm. So the goals are necessary, but they fuel you being in the process, okay? And so they're future-oriented. Intentions, on the other hand, are things that you can constantly come back to Mm -hmm. in the present moment. So let me give you an example because I think it could be sort of a nebulous concept. Yeah. Some of the intentions that really sort of scaffold our ability to be in the moment include things like curiosity, which we talked about last month, Mm -hmm. that attitude of open empathy towards ourselves. Or you might set an intention to stay present with yourself during difficulty, Mm -hmm. to act courageously in the face of your fears or your insecurities to explore the belief systems that drive your behavior or, you know, an intention might be to practice kindness or self-compassion or even unconditional positive regard towards yourself. Right. So like my brain says, these are things you can do now that help you fulfill your goals, right? Because I'm always reverse engineering, but the goal and the process, I think you can invert them, right? You can think of- Absolutely. You can think of the process as being your goal, which actually I think I'm coming to that realization as I get older. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that that's a very common thing. I think that's the accrual of wisdom that you're speaking to. The process is the goal. That is life. And that sort of, that speaks to the this condition that we always talk about in mindfulness that is being in a state of being versus doing. Okay. Right? And, and that's really how intention setting changes our lives. Because we are so oriented, especially when we're younger, like just to juxtapose what you just said there. Yeah. You know, when you're younger, you're, there's a tendency to be really action-oriented, goal-oriented. You want to do things all the time. And there isn't a whole lot of experience, unless someone's explicitly taught you, at being with yourself, being with your emotions, or even being in the process of tolerating life, you know, and all of its ups and downs. Like, that is actually the richness of what it means to have a human experience. And so our intentions really allow us to, I don't want to use the word perfect, but to really hone our ability to be in that state. I think that the realization that the goal is the journey and the journey is the goal actually allows for a comfort that allows you to sort of fulfill that, right? Like once you realize it, then it becomes self-fulfilling. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I think I think it connects you to purpose and meaning, you know, to quote Viktor Frankl, like th- that's exactly what it does. It's like, oh no, this is the meaning of my life is to be in this process. And it, I think in many ways, it, it also relieves the pressure and allows us to maybe even take more risks. Yep. Right? Like if part of what it means to be human is to expand and grow, then we have to feel safe enough in order to do that. 
And so if we're just connected to being in the process, then, you know, we can feel safe with uncertainty and therefore take risks that allow us to grow in our relationships and in our personhood and in our work. Mm -hmm. It also helps us overcome sort of our faults or our failings, or perhaps those are judgmental words, but (laughs) addictions, right? For example, right? You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, a lot of our addiction, or let's just say addictive behaviors, actually, they stem from the inability to be with ourselves, right? And whatever's happening. And so, like, for example, if I'll I'll use myself as an example as Mm -hmm. a parent. So I've noticed that around the dinner hour during the COVID pandemic, you know, especially if I've had my kids with me for a big chunk of time, I have a I have a lot of frustration and frustration is the feeling that I have difficulty tolerating in my body. And so my knee jerk reaction is to have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, because yeah. it soothes the pressure of that feeling that I'm having difficulty tolerating. So I do that behavior, which is to have a drink, which is, you know, very common for people. What about you, Jamie? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this. I mean, I, I there's so many, there's so many examples of where I feel <laughs> discomfort. One doesn't know where to start. I would say even sort of expressing those thoughts, right? Like, Um, I will sometimes turtle because when somebody asks me something personal like that, I sometimes have difficulty expressing it and I will go to a place, I'll make a joke and I'll change the subject, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's an example of of sort of an emotional crutch or a, a behavior that is patterned. Right. Yeah. And so if we can kind of dig at that a little bit, what I would say, and you can tell me if this feels right to you, is I would say that the feeling state that you're sort of struggling with is just the vulnerability of being seen. Right. Or, right. or seen in a certain way, right? Could be, seen in a certain way, exactly. Because it's, I put myself out there all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. You do put yourself out there all the time, but, you know, in a very strong, you're very together, you're very intellectual, and so a deeply personal question might reveal the parts of you that you feel, yeah, just more vulnerable about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So let, let's move on. Then. <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> let's talk about bridging intention with goals. So, okay. so, which is positive. Let's let's get back to the jamification of this topic. Okay. Okay. So, what I'm going to suggest to the listeners is that they do this with an actual piece of paper, so not on your tablet or any device, because I, uh, there is something to the act of writing things out that you know helps our brain connect to purpose. And so, you just fold the paper in half so that you've got a column on each side. Mm-hmm. And you can write sort of the categories for your sort of life goals down one side, maybe on the left-hand side. And that might look like, you know, your physical health, your relationships, your work, your finances, etc. Mm-hmm. And on that side, you're going to write down your goals, mm-hmm. right? Like what you want to see happen with those particular stages in your life. And on the other side, you're going to write down the intentions that actually support those goals. And what you'll see often is that one intention will have the capacity to support many goals. Yeah. So, you know, one example that I, I give my clients is, is, say you have a goal to, like, spend less money, eat less, drink less, then the intention practice to achieve that goal might be to pause for 15 minutes or even five minutes. If 15 minutes is too long, five minutes. To breathe, feel, and accept the state in your body 
before any of those activities are executed. See, I was going to say it's an exercise in self-control, right? Like it's, it, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. But so the thing that I want to make clear is that the self-control, yes, it happens because you're practicing it. Mm-hmm. But what you're achieving in that interim moment of just being with yourself is you're actually processing and digesting your emotions. Right. Mm-hmm. So instead of executing a behavior to do it, you're actually staying with yourself. And we talked about this last month, like yep. intend to stay with yourself. Don't abandon yourself during difficulty. Just stay with yourself. Breathe. Feel all the sensations in your body. Watch what happens in your mind without sort of fusing to it. And then act after that. Now, in some cases, you will still do the behavior because you are a human being and you are not perfect. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's the thing to remember is, is so many people give up on their goals because they expect perfection of themselves. And unless you're some kind of alien from outer space, I mean, you're, you're just not going to get perfection. Right. So you won't be perfect. It's about repetition and practice. And to know that as you tolerate uncertainty, you are also going to tolerate greater possibility in yourself. I think that's the most important point. I would say if I've learned anything and I don't learn much, it's being able to cope with uncertainty. And I think particularly during these times, it's it's particularly germane. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Will you come again uh, next month? Definitely. That was Tracy Sograti. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Fine and Associates are family lawyers who dedicate themselves to dealing with separation and divorce matters every day. They specialize in custody, access, child and spousal support, and division of family property. It's their mission to resolve all issues amicably. But, if necessary, they're prepared to go to court and fight strongly on your behalf. Fine and Associates family lawyers are committed to achieving the results that you deserve to help you move forward with your life. If you're going through a separation or divorce, call 416-650-1300 to speak to Lauren Fine for a free initial phone consultation. For more information, visit torontodivorcelaw.com. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, If you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. My next guest, Shauna Linzen, is a dietitian and nutritionist. She's a program developer and nutrition leader at Wellspring Cancer Support Network and enjoys seeing clients virtually and doing corporate wellness lectures. She runs practical cooking demonstrations that combine scientific knowledge with culinary education. Her demonstrations are unique, informative, delicious, and a lot of fun. And you can find a list of her nutrition classes and recipes at shaunalinzen.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? 
Good, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing hunky-dory today because we're doing something a little bit different today. Today, we're going to talk about a specific ingredient, which we've never done before. Yes, we're talking about food, sweet potatoes. Yes. Lots of people are interested in sweet potatoes, and well, they should be, right? Yes, they're really nutritious and really yummy. For those who don't know, because we have some people that don't necessarily like to cook or haven't done a lot of it, what's the difference nutritionally between a regular old potato and a sweet potato? So if you look at the two, they from the outside, they don't look that different. But on the inside, if you look at them, one's white, one is orange. And if you have different colored root vegetables, you get different nutrition. So for instance, in both of them, you've got the vitamin C, you've got the fiber, you've got the potassium. But what the sweet potato has that the white potato doesn't is beta carotene, Mm. which turns into vitamin A in your body. So it's actually really good for your cardiovascular health as well as your liver health. I never thought the potatoes had much nutritional value. Isn't it the old deal that like uh, what's white, usually that's a signal that it doesn't have much to offer you? Do you know what? That's almost an old wives' tale. It's from the past. So now we're saying, like if you think about that, look at cauliflower. Look at um, onion. They have a lot of good phytochemicals. So it's not only, do you know what's funny? I always say white's a color too, right? That's true. So with the sweet potato and the white potato, they both shine Mm -hmm. in terms of vitamin C. And don't forget the fiber, which is the peel part, like the skin part. So with the fiber, if you eat the fiber, that enhances your good gut bacteria, which we always want to do, right? We want to get the good bacteria to be high and the bad bacteria to be low in our system. Okay. So it has extra nutritional value, which is good. Let's talk about preparing sweet potatoes. Yes. So I have to tell you, so a soggy sweet potato, like if you're making a fry, isn't that palatable, right? Like yeah. you, uh, you'd rather have it crispy. So I would say that the key to cooking a good sweet potato is high temperature. And the other key is to keep the peel on because that kind of protects it and gets it crispy. So what I normally would do if I'm going to make a sweet potato fry is I would roast the, I would cut them up into fairly large wedges. Mm -hmm. I would season them with olive oil, salt, pepper, and maybe a bit of paprika, um, garlic powder, cayenne. And then I would roast them on a really high temperature, like 450 or you know, as I would go as high as 450 or 425 convection. And what that does is it kind of, it, it's almost like flash frying them. Another thing you can do is put them in the air fryer if you have an air fryer because it acts like a convection oven. It moves the air around and it keeps it crispy. I've got one for you. Have you ever grilled them? Yes. So also grilling them, but I would, when you grill them, you want to make sure you cut big pieces, right? Like just to make sure that they hold together. I cut them into discs. It's hard. The problem with the sweet potato is it's like usually lumpy and and misshapen. So it's hard. It's hard to get uniformity in in, like I make discs. Yeah. But what I do is I parboil them sometimes if I'm feeling like I've got the extra time and then you can grill them quickly over a hot flame and the outer skin and even the outer texture, which isn't skin covered, will sort of crisp up not in a fried way, but give you a little bit of texture. So moist on the inside, a little bit 
chewier on the outside. And do you know what? Like with that method, I also find it's important not to douse them in oil because if you yeah. put too much oil on, They'll it's burn. going to burn the outside, not toast the outside. Correct. And you, you may have to use some indirect heat for a part of it. Mm-hmm. But what happens is they're going to change color. And when you get that color change, then you know they're done. Yes, they turn like a darker orange, which is nice because then you you feel like you're getting more nutrition, right? Exactly. Like the beta carotene. It's interesting you said that you use a high heat for the sweet potato, but you're talking about if you're trying to trying to make like fry type utility, right? Yes, like, but also with your sweet potato coins, like cutting yeah. them into circles, I also don't put too, like if I do them in the oven, I don't put too much oil on them, yeah. roast them at a high temperature, and I find they do get that kind of crispy skin, even in the oven, if I do them on 450. Yeah, I've cooked them that way, but I also cook them almost like I will use a sweet potato almost in place of a baked potato, in which case I'm actually looking for a softer potato and I slow cook them. I'll coat them in oil and salt, exact opposite of what you just said. (laughs) And, and, And I will slow roast them for like a couple of hours on a very low heat. Question, do you wrap them in tinfoil then? I do not. So what if you do want to make like a hearty filling meal, you can actually wrap the sweet potato in the tinfoil and then you take it out of the foil and then kind of roast off the skin. So what that does is it will caramelize the inside and kind of keep the the water content will turn will caramelize as it starts to seep out it does caramelize when i cook it over the low heat like i will put it on a plate that is covered with tin foil i just don't wrap it and then oh, okay and then one of the sides gets nice and caramely and i think you do something similar but i will kind of stuff it like with black beans kind of yes. a, a mexican flavor application and it's quite filling quite good Yes. So for the Mexican root, you can put black beans and salsa and guacamole and shredded cheese. Yep. You could even make like a creamy cilantro type of sauce to go on top. If, if one liked the dreaded weed, but yes. I know. <laughs> I have the I love cilantro gene. And I have the gene that says it tastes poopy. Which uh, is sad because you're a foodie. I know. So you have to go the Mediterranean route then, which would mean putting like chickpeas on it with like cumin, coriander, cinnamon, paprika. You would go that route with like a lemony tahini sauce. Or no, I, I just have my Mexican flavors without the cilantro. I just go mm-hmm. for ancho chili and, and mm-hmm. cayenne and poblano and, and the rest of it. That's all. And red onion, I guess. And boom. Yeah. Boom. There you go. Mm-hmm. So what else would you recommend for sweet potatoes? Well, I like making like a, a root vegetable medley. Like you uh. would do, like you would chop the sweet potato into cubes. And actually, remember I did that when I was on the Wall of Chefs? Yes, I do I made my pistachio-crusted salmon over a root vegetable mix. So in that mix, I did sweet potatoes, Brussels sprouts, parsnips, and beets. So like we had the color contrast, which I think is really pretty. Mm-hmm. And I still roast that on fairly high, like 425 for about 20, 30 minutes. And I season it in lemon juice and olive oil and salt and pepper. Very simple. Okay. So when you're talking about mixing it with other root vegetables, though, are you cooking them all simultaneously for the same length of time? Interestingly enough, if you cut your beets and your sweet potatoes very small, like almost just a bit bigger than like a dice or a die, 
what you would do is you would cut your Brussels sprouts a little larger. So yes, that is a factor that you have to take into consideration. Every vegetable cooks at a different temperature. So size does matter when Uh-oh. it comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not the way you meant it. Um, <laughs> Any other advice for cooking with sweet potatoes? So, do you know what? Experiment. And I love to put another really good recipe is mm-hmm. if you take kale chips and you put something crispy and crunchy with the sweet potato and then something acidic like goat cheese or feta cheese. And then you make like a, a drizzle. That's I, lo- I have a recipe that I teach in my cooking classes where I take medjool dates and mustard and apple cider vinegar and olive oil and mix that together to kind of get the sweet, the salty, the spicy, as I put ginger in there for the spice element, and I drizzle that on top. So you have a bunch of different combinations for texture and flavor. Yeah, I I agree. I think if you put it in with other textures, because like not everybody loves the mush that can happen with the sweet potato. So we we actually, and we're going to have it this week, we do a kale salad bowl with grains and tofu, but we'll also cube up either a sweet potato or a squash and throw that into the salad as well. It goes perfectly. Like sweet potato matches so perfectly with the cruciferous vegetables. It like does. kale, spinach, arugula is like fantastic with it because you've got the sweet and the peppery. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we have time for one last question and that is, is there any other application that you could think of that people might use sweet potato for other than putting marshmallows on top? <laughs> Absolutely. So trending right now, I would say there are things like sweet potato brownies where you mix it with chocolate and you get that sweet and that kind of the chocolatey flavor, like the if it's dark chocolate, the bitter flavor. Mm-hmm. So you can actually use sweet potatoes in baking. And I guess you would cut back the sugar in that case, right? Absolutely. Sometimes you only need just a little bit. Like a typical cake recipe, if it has a cup, you could probably bring it down to half a cup or a third of a cup of sugar because you have the sweetness from naturally from the sweet potatoes. So are any of these sweet potato uh, recipes on your website? No, but if you'd like me to develop one, I'd be happy to. Well, I'm I'm just thinking when people hear this, they might want to go to your website and see a sweet potato recipe. Absolutely. I've got tons of recipes, shaunalinson.com. And Instagram, when I recipe develop, I'll put it up on Instagram. And I'm shaunalin, S-H-A-U-N-A-L-I-N on Instagram. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. What would you like to talk about next month? Do you know what? Let's talk about flavoring and umami flavors. Fantastic. I look forward to it. Talk to you soon. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Dr. Robert Foster, Tracy Sograti, and Shauna Lindzen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The January-February issue is now available free on racks in over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to every home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the connection between type 2 diabetes and heart disease, what to look for in health and wellness products, 
whether meniscus tears require surgery, and how we can build muscle as we age. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.